0: Resurrection and the Life from John chapter eleven verses seventeen to forty-four. The raising of of Lazarus from the dead is, of course, a very well-known story that uh, we began to unpack in our series in John uh, last week, and we looked at the first sixteen verses. And in the Gospel, in the Gospel of John, chapter eleven is, of course, a very pivotal chapter. It is somewhere in the middle of the whole of the gospel and in a way it's, it's like we, we are climbing a mountain in chapter 11 and from the top of the mountain we can see the other mountain, the other hill called, called Calvary which is going to happen a few chapters down the road. It contains the final action on Jesus' part to set the stage for his arrest, crucifixion and eventual resurrection. And in a way, it's this, this, this glorious event serves as a, as a dress rehearsal, let us say, for his own resurrection from the dead after three days. Now, as we began last week, we mentioned that in the village of Bethany, just outside of Jerusalem, Jesus had some very good friends, some very close friends, Mary, Martha and Lazarus, three brothers and sisters. Lazarus became very sick. His sisters sent someone to notify Jesus that his good friend Lazarus was in real trouble. Jesus, of course, was in the wilderness area where the other John, John the Baptist, had been baptising and where Jesus himself was baptising in the wilderness area. About a two-day journey from Bethany in the Jordan area. And please note that being Jesus' best friend or one of his best friends didn't exempt Lazarus from getting sick, very sick, from tragedy and pain and eventual death. Jesus' best friends, close family, weren't exempt from the grief and the pain that was about to come to them. And in the spiritual supermarket that we find ourselves in, it's almost like the moment you become a Christian, we expect this this bubble wrap around our lives where God's going to protect us from any mishap, from any illness or any grief that we are part of in this world of pain. If it didn't happen for Mary, Martha and Lazarus, it's not going to happen to us. And what we discussed last week, that when Jesus heard that Lazarus was really sick, Surprisingly, he deliberately stayed away for another two days. When somebody's sick, when there's a call to go to the hospital, we expect the pastor to be there straight away. Drop whatever you're doing. It's, we need you now. And even though it might have appeared heartless, Jesus had a plan, a purpose through this sickness and eventual death. For you see, God's ways are not our ways, but His ways are always good. And we cannot judge the goodness of God by today's experiences or even how you feel about it. Last week we covered three problems that this passage presents, the problem of disease, the problem of delay and the problem of misunderstanding, the misunderstandings that plague us as humans. And this morning we add another three. We're going to add absence, grief and unbelief before we turn them over to Jesus and see what he does with them all. So we start off with the problem of absence from verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days and Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him and Mary stayed at home. And these are the words, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I think it was from everything else, from everything else that they were going through as as sisters, it was the absence of Jesus at the time of the death of Lazarus, which, which I think would have plagued Mary and Martha the most. It, and, it, and it would have been compounded all the more if, if word got back to Mary and Martha that Jesus chose to stay another couple of days rather than rushing back. They wanted Jesus to be physically there. And this is the reason why both sisters expressed the same thought. And throughout all of this time, this is the thought that would have kept them awake at night. Why isn't Jesus here? Why isn't he here? We sent for him. He hasn't come. When is he coming? That is why they say in verse 21, and that is why they say in verse 32, Lord, if only you had been here. fact is, Jesus knew what was going on, even when he wasn't physically there. Despite his delay and his physical absence during a family crisis, Jesus is there now, in his own time, in his own schedule, but he was there. Everybody else thought he was late, but the God-appointed time was now. as, As Because the miracle moves from the healing of a man to bringing him back to life. The location of the miracle, let's say, moves from the hospital bed or even the ICU, it moves to the cemetery where miracles aren't supposed to happen. Because in the hospital there is still a sense of hope for healing, for recovery, that somehow all that knowledge that is shared amongst the doctors and the specialists and the nurses and the staff and everybody else, that somehow with the medication, that somehow this person is going to be recovering. Contrast that to the cemetery where hope for this life anyway is all gone. You see, dead people tend to stay dead. And when this happens, it is quite tempting to get into a theological or doctrinal debate discussing the theodicy, this is how God interacts with our suffering and trying to make sense of it, uh, especially when something unexpected happened which is what happens in, in quite a few chapters in the book of Job for example, this conversation between trying to understand why is this happening. And the discussions between the friends and Job and Job and God and God to Job are are they all for us to to try and understand in a deeper level the reason and trying to put meaning in the suffering and pain. And we see here that Martha revealed her understanding of the resurrection And and she revealed it to the extent that she understood it from the point of view of of the Pharisees who who believed in the resurrection, but the Sadducees, which was another group, certainly did not believe in the resurrection. So at the very least, Martha shared the view of the Pharisees. She said, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And that was true. But that is all that she held up hope for. But Jesus knew it was not the time nor the place in this emotionally charged environment to have this theological debate about the principle of resurrection and and how and when it applies. Jesus very gently moves her general belief about something that's going to happen in the future and moves her to faith in Him. Of course, we cannot have resurrection unless you actually have death. And many times we will not see the deliverance of our Lord until we go through the pain and the struggle. For us Christians, it's also in the spiritual sense because we need to go through death, death to sin, in order for the life of Christ to take birth in us for the new life, for rebirth to begin. Unless we die to ourselves to our pride to our sins he cannot start his work in us so that is the first the first problem the problem of absence secondly the problem of grief when jesus saw her weeping and the jews who had come along with her also weeping he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled where have you laid him he asked come and see Lord they replied Jesus wept and then the Jews said see how he loved him and we jump a verse Jesus once more deeply moved came to the tomb Ever since the fall uh, Genesis chapter 3 pain is a part of the human story. And of course the moment that uh, Cain killed his brother death has also been part of the human story. It is pain that will either drive you toward God or like many people today, push you further away from him. This struggle, of course, to to understand pain and suffering is common to all religions, all faiths, and uh, people use it in in philosophical arguments and theological arguments. And it goes back. uh, In fact, 300 years before Jesus, there was a Greek philosopher. His name was Epicurus, and uh, Paul actually debated some of these uh, philosophers who were Epicurean philosophers in Athens. And uh, you, you read the story in Acts chapter 17. And these were the, 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 the very people who laughed at the fact that when Paul brought up the matter of, of uh, belief and resurrection, they walked away, but some stayed back and believed. Now, Epicurus put the dilemma this way in what is known as the Epicurean Paradox. And this takes many forms and formats today in university circles. It might even happen on your way to work, on a train. You might hear it on the, on the tel- television. You might see it online. But it is a different... It takes on many forms, but this is the paradox and you need to know this in order to arrive at an answer, and how will you answer if somebody throws this at you? And here is how it goes it says, If God is willing to prevent evil, but is not able to, then he is not omnipotent. If he is able but not willing, then he is malevol- ma- malevolent. If he is both able and willing, then whence cometh evil? If he is neither able nor willing, then why do we call him God? Can you see, can you see the point? So, if he is if he's willing to prevent evil, but he's unable, then he is he's weak. He hasn't got all power. If he's able but willing, then not willing, then he doesn't care. If he's both able and willing, then where on earth do we have the origin of evil? And if he's neither able nor willing, then why do we actually bother calling him God? And many of you are going, hmm, I haven't thought about that before. Well, you need to think about it because this is, some of the, this is one of the favourite darts and, and arrows that they will throw at you. There are many, many people who have tackled this question from a biblical point of view and you need to familiarise yourself with it. John Piper gives instructions to preachers. We must preach, he says, we must preach so as to make suffering seem normal and purposeful and not surprising in this fallen age. The forces of American culture are almost all designed to build the opposite worldview in our people's minds. Maximise comfort, ease, and security. Avoid all choices that might bring discomfort, trouble, difficulty, pain, or suffering. Avoid all those things that are going to bring pain. Yes? Grief and pain is all around us. Yes, it is there because as Christians we believe we rebelled against God and we are paying the price. In Adam, Adam there are no innocent victims of sin and death. It's not like we can suddenly say he didn't deserve it. Actually, we all deserve death. We are getting what we deserve. But in a very beautiful way, this passage tells us so much about God's character and what He is doing about it. It teaches us that God will do it all for His glory. It informs us that God's purposes and His power are are, are never divorced from his eternal love for his own. Jesus came to earth to reveal the heart of God to us at Christmas, but it led all the way to the sacrifice on a cross. And this verse, this verse, verse 35... The shortest verse in the Bible, two words. Jesus wept. And we just remember that, but if, but if you read it in its context, you would see that it's in, 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 it's in the centre of two statements, one before and, and one after, but it tells us that Jesus was already deeply moved and troubled. Twice it tells us that he could have been stoic. Ah, you'll be right, mate. Gonna get you out of there in a minute. What are you crying for? Stop carrying on. Come on, get over it. Come on, toughen up here. Isn't that what a good Aussie bloke will do? Stop crying boys don't cry what are you a wuss come on now Jesus of all people Jesus because he was knowing what he was going to do he could have expressed it in similar words you know like ye of little faith get over yourselves." he doesn't do that here says Jesus was deeply moved and troubled. Many continue to believe that God is unmoved by the human condition. But reading the Bible, you have to come up with another conclusion. God is moved by the ugliness of sin And unbelief. God is moved by the rejection of Him and how people just squander the gifts that He gives us and we throw it all away. In the original, it indicates that uh, Don Carson actually says that the original words, he says he was outraged. Jesus was outraged. Outrage at what? Outrage at the fact that. This is not the way it was supposed to be. Yes, he was weeping because of the fact that he knew them. He knew them personally. He knew the whole family. He knew how much the sisters were crying, and the, the, the previous verse, uh, previous verses tell us that whom you love, Jesus loved Lazarus as a friend. He was a mate. Yes, he was also weeping at the unbelief of those around him. In a similar way that he would weep over Jerusalem like a hen who was wanting to gather the the chicks and they refused, they didn't want to. Yes, and Jesus was deeply moved by the, the sorrow that he experienced and knew about. Jesus took it all in. God, man, in Jesus, spirit and flesh combined, the the, the wonder of divinity in one person, going through all of the experiences. Despite knowing what was going to happen, he still experienced grief and pain and cried for us. Please don't tell me that God does not care. The problem of unbelief this is our final problem this morning. But some of them said, Could could not he who opened the eyes of the blind of the blind man kept kept this man from dying? In verse forty, we jump to verse forty, then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here. This was a prayer with a microphone so that everybody could hear it. That they may believe that you sent me. And just to be clear, just to be clear, this is a very different setting to the one that we are having here right now. This is this, this was not a church service. This was not everybody holding hands and let us start praying for Lazarus to come back to life. No, no, no. This is definitely not everybody supporting what the pastor was about to do. Apart from the Father, Jesus is all alone in his mission. All alone. No one believes he can do what he's about to do because he is about to do the impossible. In fact, so outrageous that 2,000 years later, people continue to challenge the veracity of these events. No, come on. We live in an age where seeing is believing. It's no different, however, to that age or every age in between. People want to see first and then they will believe. Or so we think. Unlike the Israelites, of course, who continue to see and see and see all these miracles and they still continue to disbelieve. The approach of Jesus is the direct antithesis to this. He says, believe first and then you will see. Believe first and then you will see. Not see and then believe. We are called to believe and obey the commands of the Lord even when we, we can see that they're going to be irrational, impractical We are called to turn the other cheek when it just seems so irrational. We are called to forgive. We are called to live by faith, not by sight. Believe the word and you will see his works. Believe the word and you will see his works. Now there was this superstitious belief in the midst of Jewish circles that that the soul of the deceased lingered around, the spirit sort of lingered around for three days after death. And a lot of the commentators see this is the reason why Jesus actually stayed a little bit longer, just to dispel even the superstition that would have been around at the time. So by the time Jesus came, four days later, he was dead, dead, truly dead. There were no spirits hanging around, okay, trying to find a home. So he calls for the stone to be moved away. Martha reminds Jesus of the four days, the stench of death. Martha, do you still not believe? Here is the problem of unbelief. I told you, believe and you will see the glory of God. And there are so many points in this story, isn't it? They attest to the the deity of Christ. Jesus knew Lazarus had died before anyone told him. He knew he was dead. Jesus knew Lazarus could come back to life before anyone saw it. Jesus assured Martha of those who believe in him would never experience spiritual death. Only God the Great, only God the Great I Am can do this. Can give such an assurance. And finally, Jesus brought a dead man back to life and backs up everything he just told us. This is Almighty God. This is what only He, the great I Am, could do. This is why He says, one of the great verses in the scriptures I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Before I get to the good news, you need to know the bad news. A wonderful promise, but there is a but. Twice twice Jesus says, he who believes in me. So I'm I'm sorry to say that scripture holds no hope to those who do not believe in Jesus. I cannot put it any clearer than that. There is no other way. To those who hear his word, receive his offer of grace, he extends the marvelous promise. But to those who refuse it and do not believe it, there is nothing but hell and darkness. This is what Jesus says. This is not the stuff that Paul Mozachuk is making up. Then, verse 43, when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes. Letting go. Um, a more descriptive, in, in the original language, is actually more descriptive. It, it actually says, Lazarus, this way out. It's a bit like the, the aeroplanes, you know. That way, Lazarus. Directing Lazarus from this gloomy dungeon because you know, he was still tied up like, like, like a mummy, walking remove the grave clothes, let him go. He was bound, he needed to be released. In a sense, serves to remind us that even though he was bound, hand and feet wrapped in cloth, he was still, he was released from death but only temporarily because he would eventually grow old and die again. But of course, this is all a dress rehearsal to the greatest event that was coming up in just a few short months. In a place not too far away from where this happened, another tomb, another tomb will be opened, not by men, and he wasn't opened so that Jesus could get out. It was opened so that people could go inside and see that the tomb was empty. We, we sung our first hymn this morning. These are the words angels in bright raiment roll the stone away kept the folded grave clothes where thy body lay. And unlike the resurrection of Of Lazarus, Jesus' resurrection, his resurrected body was different. It was transformed. It was glorified because Jesus' resurrection was already pointing to a greater resurrection. It points also to what our resurrected bodies will be like. Just read 1 Corinthians 15. I'm the resurrection and I am the life. That day, not only Jesus said he was the resurrection, he also stated he was the life. The thief comes to do what? To steal, to kill, to destroy. To steal, to kill, to destroy. We see it all around us. This is what the thief is doing. But I have come that they may have life. Not at just any any life, but have it to the full. What type of, I wonder, if uh, what type of questions the press would have asked Lazarus? So man, what was happening? You know, in the darkness, you know, tell us, tell us what was going on, man. Four days, man. You must, bro. It was, it must have been unbelievable. What did you see? Come on, did you see this tunnel? What was it like? Did you see a light? Who did you talk to? Did you see Moses? Did you see Abraham? who you see? My, uh, father, my late father-in-law, um, years ago, he um, had a heart attack and he was gone for all money. By God's grace, uh, was brought back to life. And I did ask him the question, when you were gone, did you see anything? And he says, no, nah, I can't remember anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. I just ready to write a book, you know. A bestseller. Come on, it's not just me. I oh, know you've asked the same question, right? Come on. Because we want to know, right? But perhaps the more important question is, What type of life did Lazarus live from this point on now that he got a new lease of life? King Hezekiah was dying and he asked God to extend his life. He was given another 15 years of life and pretty much wasted the rest of his days. But you see, it's not just about extending our years and popping pills and you know getting the paddles going and that's, that's not it it's 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 the full life that Jesus came to give us what type of life did Lazarus live from this point on was he fully committed to the cause of Jesus Christ because the resurrection in the gospel is, is so much more than just resuscitation it means It means bringing people back to the the life that they were meant to live, to fulfill the purposes in God. Because this life is ending and then the eternal begins. As a believer, as a believer, I'm sure Lazarus would have experienced both. Fear totally gone from his life living the life for Christ. Yes, life is life eternal. For the Bible tells us that He placed eternity in our hearts. For the believer, we will be forever in the presence of the Lord. That is the promise. We will be forever in His presence of the One who loved us and gave His life for us. Forever. As a bonus, as a bonus, you will get to be reunited with those whom you have loved and lost in this life. And hopefully that's good news for you. But you see, to live in a perfect world without sorrow and pain, is a universal longing. But it is only promised and realised to believers in Christ. To live in a world where there is no more tears and no more pain, that is the vision that we see in Revelations, but only promised to believers. Yes, and while some continue to ask whether... There is life after death. We also need to see if there is life before death. We've spoken about suffering and loss and death and resurrection. But we come to the question of life and its purpose. And without Christ, there is ultimately no purpose to life. If we are simply the accidents of some atoms and cells and everything that uh, that got lucky or some progression from the monkeys if there is no purpose in life what are we doing? Jesus came to give us the life the full life in all its meaning so that we no longer live for ourselves but we need to live for him We we want to live lives that, yes, that are are exciting and that are full. That's what we want to do, but we need to be willing to obey his calling. Now, Selwyn and Christine, they're heroes of mine because they could have been retired, they could have been hanging out in some retirement home already, enjoying, enjoying the life. But no, they're still going back to Africa. You're nuts. Why do you do it? It's because God is compelling them. God is calling them to go because there is a need. There is a purpose to the lives and, and, and they're not going to give up until God says, okay, it's time. That's what happens when God takes over. And so it is for that reason that the Apostle Paul says we can endure light and momentary troubles for a little while in these broken and ruined bodies, in financial hardships, in loneliness, in heartache and pain because it is only for a season. It is only for a little while because we have the life, we have the promise of the life that never ends. Yes, there is the life there is the life before death and there is the life after death that is an absolute bonus. But unless you give your life to Christ and trust in Him, fully trusting in Him, I cannot promise you this. And yes, through Christ, man's greatest enemy, death, is defeated by man's greatest friend, Jesus Christ. What a friend we have in Jesus. And this is why Jesus never conducted a funeral for in his presence, in his presence, even death fled. He is the resurrection. He is the life. So all who believe in him will never die. Is his life in you? I hope and pray that it is. If it isn't, you're not sure of it, please let's have a chat and point you in the right direction of the Saviour and Lord. Amen.